Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. He's worth fighting for. So you got to go out there and show the cynics that you're willing to knock on doors for Terry. To make the calls for Terry. To tell your friends and neighbors what's at stake. We ain't got time to be tired. We don't have time to be tired. <laughs> I think Terry's doomed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They're, bring, they're rolling out the big guns, or at least the Democrats are in Virginia. Barack Obama in Richmond uh, campaigning for, for uh, Terry McAuliffe in that governor's race that ends uh, a week from today, Mike Murphy. Uh, the, uh, all the eyes of the world are on on the Commonwealth. That is the great thing and the awful thing about being one of these off-year governor races like Virginia and Jersey, really the only two, because it, you become the Heisenberg experiment for everything in politics. But, you know, you get the the stars of each side coming in, often wearing fireman attire right now on the Democratic side because they're very worried about the race. And to decode it, we need to bring right. in the, the mad scientist, The mad we, scientist, the mad experimenter of mapping he might have himself. seen enough, but we haven't seen <laughs> enough, so we want to talk to him about this, the house races and everything else. Mr. Dave Wasserman. Hey, how are you? Hey, man. Good to see you. Uh, you live in Virginia. What's going on, man? Well, I went to vote yesterday with my wife and our uh, our five-month-old daughter. And, you know, the plural. You know, in Chicago, she'd is, be eligible there, Murphy. Yeah, I gave I, I, you beat me to my I own gave joke. You your yeah, joke. She, yeah. She'd be eligible <laughs> to vote twice. Yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah. So what, what's the on the ground report from Northern Virginia, the key battlefield, really? Um, what are we hearing? You know, I, I went to vote at Alexandria City Hall. And I remember, you know, in 2020, I showed up on the first day. I was actually in line with Mark Warner. And there were a lot of, you know, young people there who were kind of chomping at the bit to get Trump out of office. I think the real challenge for Democrats in this Virginia race is young people. Uh, fundamentally, they were more anti-Trump than pro-Biden. We knew that you know, from the primaries of 2020 through the general election. The, the problem is there's not really much that's exciting or new, new about Terry McAuliffe. <laughs> and it's been, you know, he's, he's tried beating this dead horse of Trump, uh, and tying Youngkin to him, but Trump's not in office anymore. And it's not clear yeah. how effective yeah. a turnout motivator that is. Now, you know, I still think if you forced me, I'd, I'd still pick Terry uh, by a point or two. But um, I'm glad that that the Cook Report moved uh, this to toss up a month ago. What, you know, uh, what was the vibe just quickly? I don't know what precinct you have, but that's probably a Democrat professional kind of area. Uh, did it feel like the macker would come out of there with a big margin? I mean, we're totally doing anecdotal yeah. crazy now, but uh, why not? You know, do it because uh, I'm moving on yeah. to lawn, lawn signs after this. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's counting. right. No, I'll tell you what, <laughs> like there, there is a big difference between 2020 and 2021. And as far as Republicans who are willing to put out yard signs. Um, you know, in, in heavily blue areas, you know, there's actually a, there was a Glenn Youngkin table with mm. three volunteers who were kind of, you know, stereotypical Republican women's club types uh, outside the, you know, the early voting. Um, <laughs> Rhinestone elephants. Yeah, I can picture it. <laughs> right. You know, uh, they were bedecked, I, I would say, uh, outside the, uh, the Alexandria <laughs> City Hall. 
Um, there wasn't, you know, there were a few Democrats running for city council, but no one really pounding the pavement there for Terry. And, uh, mm, you know, the, 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 the line to vote to the extent there was one looked like a, uh, a testament to, um, to pharmaceutical advancements. Yeah. <laughs> well, as as great pollster Scooby Doo would say, rut row. But go ahead. What do you got? Or Dr. the or the, audi- or, or the audience for the nightly news? Yeah, you know that you watch the. <laughs> I feel very self conscious watching the nightly news because every ad is a pharmaceutical thing to try and get me through another year. You know, I remember in, in the last truly close race in Virginia was in 2014 when Mark Warner just barely beat Ed Gillespie, and that was. Yes. That was a sign early on election night. This is going to be a rough election night for Democrats. And I remember the local news interviewed, uh, you know, some Democrat in Arlington going to vote. And a reporter asked, uh, well, you know, why are you here today? And they said, I'm doing my civic duty. And that's when, you know, it's a, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I really had no choice. There's a guy in my car with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, you know, I, I, I will say, you know, on the lawn sign thing, I do think it reflects something. I do think it reflects something. I'm old school in this regard. If people are willing to put these lawn signs out on their lawns, especially in areas where uh, they they know that uh, they may not be in the majority, uh, that that is some yep. measure of enthusiasm. And your point, Dave, we should point out, it is not uh, – in Virginia, you can only run for one term. Terry McAuliffe is trying to regain the office that he gave up uh, in 2017 uh, at the end of his term. Uh, and it is not the norm to go backward. This back to the future thing is a tough experiment. The other thing is that Virginia almost always rejects the party in the White House in their governor's races. McAuliffe was one of the only, uh, McAuliffe was the, 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 the exception to the rule in 2013 when Obama was president. So there, he starts with, but without, we should get to the Biden effect and, and how his standing impacts on this race. But even before you get there, you know, historic norms are such that uh, you would expect, even with Virginia becoming bluer, uh, you would expect this to be a competitive race. The uh, David, the expectations game just sent a telegram. Ouch! Ouch! Let me go! But you're right. You're right. It has been a bellwether. And McCullough's problem is it's an open seat race, but he, for all, he's the incumbent. You know, he, he's a known quantity. They had him before. And that just that just makes the headwind thing a little harder. And Young can I'll give him, this is a race Republicans ought to watch if he pulls it off. Because they're running the tonally least Trumpy guy in the world, knowing the tribal Trump vote will vote for him because he's not a D. Right. No, it's an interesting thing they're trying to pull off there. And the suburbanites will be like, he's not that scary. He's not AOC, going to take every dime I have in the people's revolution. Oh, why not? He's Teflon in that regard. And the McCullough people have tried and tried and tried to, to put a MAGA hat on him and make him a scary monster. But when you have a vibe like this guy does, and I might add a wonderful wife who used to work for me on a campaign years ago. So All right, man. that's good. That is a uh, very elegant disclaimer right there. <laughs> I appreciate that. It, 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 it's effective. And, you know, the suburban precincts are going to tell us the story here. If the Macker can't get a big lead uh, and just win small, outstate, I think, will be Republican norm and bingo. That, that, yeah, it's that, not that just the, And not just the suburbs of Washington, Dave, also the suburbs of Richmond, yep. which I think are going to be bellwethers. 
it's the Richmond and Tidewater suburbs that, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to see the, the biggest, uh, you know, that's going to be the biggest clues on election night. I, I went through and did, you know, my, my pre-election night model of what each candidate needs to hit to get to 50% plus one. And I think that Youngkin only needs to get to about 34% of the vote in Fairfax, mm. probably needs around 43% of the vote in Loudoun, 41% in Prince William. And if he can drive out that Trump turnout in uh, in rural Virginia, then you know it's going to be very, very close. Uh, so I think there are things that Youngkin could have done to move a little bit uh, away from Trump and towards the center in subtle ways that would have maybe given him a slight lead heading into election night. I don't understand, for example, why he spent any time after wrapping up the Republican nomination going to an anti-critical race theory rally or hanging out at Liberty University. But mm -hmm. he has put himself in decent position. Yeah. No, if I were, listen, if I were there, uh, and Murphy, you'll appreciate this. If I were running that campaign, you know, Yunkin runs around in that fleece, his uh, Yunkin fleeces. I would call him a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's, you know, trying to pass himself off as a non-Trump guy. But he also, he did say at the beginning of the race that he would, he's only, he was only running because of Trump. And he, he does hang with that crowd when it's, convenient. You, by the way, I want to give you credit, Mike, uh, because the last time we got together here, uh, you said Yunkin could win this race and therefore Trump will have to make some effort yeah, to muscle in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the next day he had a rally. They had a rally in Richmond and he called in uh, yeah. for just that reason. A sure sign that he thinks that, he, you know, there's a, there was an old speaker of the house in Illinois named Paul Powell who died as Secretary of State. He was the guy who died with, and they found $800,000 in, in shoeboxes in his hotel room. But uh, when Powell was Speaker of the House and they were trying to put uh, a deal together and the deal was close, he used to say, I can smell the meat of cooking. And I think that Trump smells the meat of cooking. Oh, and he he yeah. wanted a piece of the meal, you know? Yeah, he can't let anything big happen in the party that he can't, can't claim credit for. I think he's going to try again. I wouldn't be surprised if he pops up the last weekend uh, and tries this one more time so he can claim total credit for it. By the well, way, it would my be an insane contribution to Terry. It would be. It if would I were, be totally a contribution to Terry, but but I Trump doesn't think about that. Trump thinks about Trump. Where's the spotlight? Me, 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 me. One, one footnote. I agree with what you said, Dave, about the burbs and, and Tidewater particularly, but I think Youngkin may break 35 in uh, in Fairfax. I, uh, I think- Well, he, Trump couldn't break 30. So right, we'll right. see. Yeah, it's that five to six point delta. So uh, that'll be a number I'll be watching. Well, if Trump, uh, just to your previous point, if, uh, you know, they should, the Republicans should do with Trump what, uh, remember in the old movie, The Wolfman, where Lon Chaney would change, he would right, right. transform into a Lead wolf. box. And, yeah. and finally he asked to, on the night that there were full moons out, he asked to be chained up so he couldn't escape and do harm. So someone should chain uh, Trump up for the next uh, week, some Republicans, if they're, uh, if they're interested in Yunkin, because him showing up in any way in Virginia is not a helpful thing for Yunkin. In the yeah, I, I think McConnell ought to send a plane for him and say, only you can save us. And the minute he's on the plane, they're heading for Borneo. You know, <laughs> you know, just keep him in the air for seven days. <laughs> there's kind of, there's a revealing thing. And that's, I was talking with a, a Yunkin advisor probably a month ago or so, just checking in on where the race stood. And he said, look, there's a, there's a reason why Terry went up with 
ads criticizing Youngkin on opposing vaccine mandates for healthcare workers, but then took him down and, and you know kind of switched back to a more Trumpy message. Now McAuliffe's up with ads that kind of uh, um, make up for his gaffe on parents and school, you know, school board involvement. Right? That is something that that uh, surprises me. The fact that that McAuliffe is not closing with vaccine mandates, um, yeah. and you know, yeah. that could be a sign for Democrats that even in a Biden plus ten state, maybe that's not what's moving independent voters. Yeah, it, this is a Petri dish, and everybody's watching. I agree with that. I would just say one of our astute correspondents, Matt Leonardo, reports in Northern Virginia, and he, he's in the biz, Republican consultant, not a Trump fan, that, um, and I do a lot of work with him, the, he's been stunned by the frequency of traffic changes in terms of what ad they're running, uh, which divides the message a lot. But we all know when you're in campaigns and it feels like it's going down, people start throwing shit against the wall. And it feels like the McAuliffe guys are doing some of that, you know, the ad of the day. Uh, and that is always a bad sign that they're they're flailing a bit. And I I don't know. McAuliffe is a good, likable Paul. He was a decent governor for a Democrat. But it just doesn't seem like they've gotten their their decisive argument made here. You know, other than being a proxy for D versus R and and against a kind of French vanilla Republican like Youngkin, who's tonally so non-threatening, it just hasn't clicked. And I'm surprised they haven't changed it up. There's no real, at least I'm trying to watch the CMAG, no real issue content that much. It's kind of the flurry of every 72 hours. I think that's hurting McAuliffe. You know, the uh, I guess they're focusing, Dave, on the on, on uh, Youngkin's uh, budget uh approached and arguing that it would cost 42,000 teachers uh, in Virginia. I think they've been arguing a little bit about teacher pay and raising teacher pay. Um, but it does, this goes back to your point. There is, you do have the, you know, if you if you have been the governor and you say we're 50th in the country in teacher pay, it does beg yeah. the question, well, well what were you, were you? you doing? And he would argue that it was the Republican legislature that kept him uh, from doing it. But it's an easy uh, it's an easy rejoinder. Yeah, this is a lot more complicated, I think, than McAuliffe uh, anticipated when he when he signed up for this. And I always thought he he signed up for it in part to make himself available uh, for the Democratic Party, if they were looking for a different president, another presidential nominee in 2024, that <laughs> uh, that project uh, is uh, seems a little remote right now. My theory is that this race wouldn't be that close had Democrats nominated one of the black women who is running against McAuliffe in the primary. I think there would be more energy behind a Jennifer Carroll Foy uh, than someone who was already governor. You know, Virginia has a one-term limit. Uh, and and uh, you know, for, kind of for a reason, uh, and and maybe Terry should have taken the the hint. We'll see on Tuesday. But if he loses, he'll be one for three in Virginia governor's races. Yeah, the New Hampshire Rotary will lose his number, and I I think that is an astute point, Dave. I, I agree with that about who they nominated. But what what a kind of um, cap to the historical trend of Virginia. Can you imagine going to Harry Bird in the days of the bird machine and saying, all right, we're going to pull this thing off, but here's the idea. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to find us an outstanding African-American woman. You know, I mean, that, that becoming the answer of Virginia is, is really kind of an amazing story of how the country, and people need to remember this in politics, often for the good, the country is always changing. And, you know, last year's rules are not going to be tomorrow's rules. 
Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, folks, if you're like me, you're struggling with fall allergies uh, right now and struggling for a way to deal with it. And now we've got an answer for you. So you got to do what I did and check out Homedics. They sent me this Total Clean Air Purifier, and it is amazing. Total Clean's air filtration system and UVC light removes up to 99% of airborne allergens, including pollen, pet dander, and I've got a dog, smoke, and mold. It purifies the air in large rooms up to 343 square feet, and it's much cheaper than those crazy expensive air purifiers. Plus, it's more compact than the typical bulky air purifier, so it doesn't take up a lot of space in your house. You know, the air in your home can actually be up to five times dirtier than the air outside. That's why Homedics designed their total clean air purifier collection with a variety of needs and room sizes in mind. I'm not a heavy sleeper, so Total Clean's Whisper Quiet technology combined with the option to use the integrated aromatherapy makes for a more restful sleep. It even includes a nightlight feature for people who may like a little light before bed. So here's a little history. In 1987, a Detroit family founded Homedics, and today they're the established leader in wellness and home health innovations, backed by traditional wisdom and modern technology. Plus, Homedics has an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so they're a brand you can rely on. Join the millions of customers who trust the Homedics family to take care of theirs. Take it from me, this total clean air purifier will help with your allergies. It'll help you sleep. It's something you want to look into, like, now. Whether you're dealing with allergies or just looking to keep your family safe from germs, we've got good news. Right now, if you go to homedics.com slash hacks and use promo code hacks, you'll receive a free replacement filter with the purchase of your air purifier up to a $99 value. That's pretty good. That's a free replacement filter when you go to H-O-M-E-D-I-C-S dot com slash hacks. That's homedics.com slash hacks and use the promo code hacks. You, you mentioned the young, but obviously there's a big focus on uh, McCullough's part on a turnout in the black uh, community. And you, you've seen a, a, a parade of prominent African-American leaders, uh, Obama being one of them, but, but Stacey Abrams, the vice president, was there. Uh, now, Biden is going there uh, today. Uh, in fact, as people uh, listen to this podcast, they'll probably be also watching reports of Biden's visit uh, to Virginia. It seems to me, you know, whether all of it is deserved or not, uh, he's got a lot riding on this thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can make the argument, Dave, and I, I've heard you make it that, uh, you know, a two point win still is eight points less than he got there. So that means something. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some speculation along those lines. But a W is a W and an L is an L. And if uh, if if uh, McAuliffe goes down, there, there, there's just going to be a widespread panic. Uh, within the Democratic Party, because that the, I think it was assumed that he would grind his way through this thing. Yeah, we could see a stampede of retirements, and you know, from from Congress, from you know. from a 2022 perspective, I think Republicans have already won here. Uh, you know, it, unless Terry McAuliffe pulls a rabbit out of a hat and wins by 10 points, 
there's going to be some erosion uh, from Biden's margin in 2020. Uh, it's likely to be, you know, a seven or eight point difference uh, or something in that range yeah. versus this could versus be close one yeah. way or the other. And yeah. and, you know, Democrats can't really afford any erosion if they want to hold on to the House or Senate in 2022. So, you know, from that perspective, but look, if if Terry does lose, then I think we'll be looking at Democrats in Virginia blaming the administration, blaming congressional leadership for failing to get a deal done because so much of what happens in Virginia is dependent on Democrats' mood about DC. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Northern Virginia is so kind of karmically connected. It's kind of unique. Maryland to some extent too. I, I agree. Look, this thing is such a bad puzzle. First of all, they got to send Biden in. They own it anyway. So they're going to send it in. But if, if McAuliffe loses, that'll double down. On, yeah, even the president going there couldn't save it. By the way, if I were the White House, I'd pin the whole thing on Obama. Uh, just a little <laughs> helpful hint there. But anyway, so they got Biden doing that. And by the way, Biden doing that, you know, it's like, you know, you drive the motorcade a mile to, uh, across the river to Arlington, right? You might as well be getting a burger. Uh, I don't, <laughs> right, I don't right. think Vir Virginians notice when uh, when the president crosses the river. In Northern yeah. Virginia, all they notice is a traffic jam and they get pissed off. Right. I got a question yesterday. What, like, why would why would they want Biden there with a 43% approval rating? This is a turnout election. This is what they're, they are hoping to get Democrats to come out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that that, that is, uh, the, the other element is, uh, uh, why would Biden want to go? I, I don't think he wants, it, I don't think they want it reported that he did not go. He had gone earlier. I'm sure the White House doesn't want that story. But I mean, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. But why, why is Biden going? I don't think he can't go because if it's a close race that McAuliffe loses, not only will the narrative be, oh, Biden unpopular, blah, blah, blah. Biden didn't even do anything for him. So if they're going to take the beating, they might as well go kind of head first. So I think they thought at least we we go make the effort. And who knows? Maybe it will be a slight material impact that will help us. I just don't think they could have cut and run at this point. They're probably going to take the beating anyway. You talk to Democrats there, and they really feel strongly that, you know, in a marginal race, that the Congress acting this week on the infrastructure bill uh, and, you know, and the uh, comp companion bill, the reconciliation bill, but particularly the infrastructure bill, would be materially helpful uh, to McAuliffe. And not acting uh, would be harmful. I mean, is that your read? Yeah. Yeah, I look the way I've looked at the infrastructure bill. I don't know if Democrats get a huge bounce or that Biden's approval ratings get a lasting bounce from passing a package, right? But if they don't, then things could get even worse for Democrats. And uh, you know, you've already seen that the chairman of the Budget Committee, John Yarmuth, has announced he's not running for re-election. We're up to thirteen Democrats who have made other plans including, uh, you know, a couple who are running for lower level offices <laughs> saying, you know, this this ain't very much fun around here. But yeah, I, you could you could be looking at uh, a loss of you know, 15 to 20 seats in the House, if, if even if Democrats do pass a package, but you could be looking at 30 seats in the House if if they don't. Yeah, I think they ought to pass something politically. I'm not crazy about what they're passing other than infrastructure. But per Virginia, I hope there's some jerk in the White House making the following argument, because Biden deserves to hear it, which is, sir, if, if we pass this thing, which, remember, isn't that pretty anymore? 
because it's it's kind of a Franken bill now. It, you know, three point five. Now it's one point five. Now it's one point seven. Uh, and then McAuliffe loses anyway because of six months worth of trouble. Uh, then then where's our bump from our fabulous bill? The voters of Virginia just said, get lost. And that'll reinforce the narrative about all the compromises and mistakes and Democratic base groups are mad and the progressives are, uh, the grassroots progressives are unhappy. Christ, if we can pass infrastructure, the, the big, easy, clean one that actually has messaging behind it, first bipartisan, real jobs, and then get along to the, the recharge the welfare state after McAuliffe as our restart, Rather than, you know, put the whole thing there, have four days and then have the verdict of the inside media be our, our bill was a dog and it helped lose. I mean, I think they're 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 taking a lopsided risk reward bet there, but they're doing it. You're doing it. You're saying they should do what they plainly can't, which is pass the infrastructure bill without doing the other bill. Well, footnote, I'm not sure they can anymore because it looks like peace is broken out as they're landing on a number. But if they can't pass infrastructure alone, I would pass nothing, and I'd use it for a restart rather than throw it into the, the McAuliffe swamp and see if anything survives. It, it yeah, seems to me very risky that. for the narrative. Contrarian view, but I, I, I think this could be a double loss. I think that they need to do something. I mean, I, I'll tell you something. Biden needs a restart. Biden needs a reboot, and the reboot would be the, the 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 optimal reboot would be to pass these bills and McAuliffe winning in Virginia. The bad scenario is not passing these bills uh, and McAuliffe losing in Virginia, or either or either of those parts. You know, McAuliffe losing or them not passing the bills. So, I mean, I think he needs this. He he really needs to get it done. And there's the added uh, thing that he's headed off. To Europe, and he wants to be uh, for the climate change talks. There's a lot of uh, a lot of his climate change strategy is subsumed in these bills, and he doesn't want to show up with an empty shopping bag uh, as he's trying to lead the world uh, around this issue of climate. I mean, there's a lot at stake for him. This is probably the most consequential week of the Biden presidency in that regard. So far, uh, but just pushing back a little, wouldn't it be better lose McAuliffe past the big bills restart? putting the climate thing away because I don't think like, you know, the Europeans are going to walk out on him. The climate thing will work. Flowery language. Everybody agrees. Thank God he's not Trump. We're back on track. That'll be the message out of there. We'll see if they actually pass the reconciliation bill. They need to agree on a reconciliation bill in order for uh, in order to move forward on the infrastructure bill. Although I will say for all of your beating up on progressives, Murphy, (laughs) they've been far more compromising in this process than the two amigos over there in the Senate mansion and cinema. I mean, they've they've, they've made huge compromises here. I, I yeah. thought once the progs had tasted blood, they'd be more difficult. But they it, let's put it this way. They've not been shy about criticizing things they don't like, and they've been quiet about $2 trillion or $1.5 trillion, to quote the great, I would say, patriot uh, mansion in, in silent cinema in the, in the Senate. Uh, but you're <laughs> right. You're cinema. right. I've been surprised. But the Climate Summit and Virginia aren't the only two timing considerations involved in all this. Uh, I think as more time goes by and you see rising consumer concerns about inflation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes it harder for Democrats to sell even a lot of their own right. members on a large injection of spending. Yeah, that's a good point. It also may be if this uh, if they if they don't pass anything, it may get more difficult if McAuliffe loses to pass the reconciliation bill. You're going to get moderates who are going to get more and more 
squeamish about this. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot at stake here. And I think everybody recognizes, and this is now, here's my segue, segue alert. Uh, <laughs> everybody recognizes that the odds are not great for Democrats in 2022. And I know every time we say that, <laughs> we get nasty. Wait, wait a nasty, minute. We get nasty mail. When we say that, we get nasty tweets. No, you get nasty mail. I get nothing but nasty mail all the time. But you're right. But it's the truth. The House is in bad shape. Are you trying to transition to redistricting? Where, where are you going here? Yes, I'm trying to tax. I want to tax the expertise of the the boy genius here on, uh, on uh, redistricting. Let me segue your segue for a speed bump along the way quickly. There's a governor's race in New Jersey. Republicans are running a nut and there's no real race and it's over. Is that a fair summary? Well, actually, Jack Chatterelli was my assemblyman uh, growing up in, ah. uh, in Central Jersey. So I've got both of the off-year states covered, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think this, you know, the Jersey race is on track for a similar slippage from the Biden margin, although I don't think Chatterelli is within striking distance of a win. Yeah, that would yeah. be my point. There's no real outcome thing, but you're right. If if Because if it's, it's so funny the way the media works like a herd. If... The Virginia thing is close, and particularly That's not breaking McCall news is, there. But yeah. no, no, I, we're both breaking the obvious today. <laughs> um, the Jersey thing will be under a different lens depending on on Virginia, and so if it's close to Biden's old number, and I agree it won't be, then yeah. But if it's a couple points closer and they lose Virginia, then even in Jersey, another week it could have been, a, you know, and that just compounds the problem the Dems will have with the narrative that Biden politically is in real trouble and the country's turning on. I think that narrative is out there, and it's going to take a lot to turn the narrative. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Axelrod, my wonderful wife, Tiffany, let's put it this way. Not letting her have good coffee in the morning would be like asking Keith Richards to switch to milk. It is. <laughs> it would be a horrible, violent experience. So I'm always trying to surprise For you. her. Yes. Yeah. No. No. I, you'd be. You'd be doing the memorial episode. She, she's got. She's got enough of burdens already. Yeah, we, I, we don't want to add that one. It, it, exactly. That's why I'm excited to talk about our great new sponsor, Trade. They merge the idea of fantastic coffee and easy, fast delivery, and their goal is simple: to make every cup of coffee your best ever. The journey to your perfect cup starts with taking. The their coffee quiz. This is great. It dials you in. I mean, do you use a French press, automatic drip? Are you a cold brew person? I'll bet you are. No problem. Your answers will allow Trade to pair you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste. Yeah, Trade will match you to coffees you'll love from 400 plus. That's 400 plus craft coffees. And they'll send you a freshly roasted bag as often as you'd like. Trade guarantees you'll love your first match on the off chance you don't. They'll replace it with a different bag. And remember, 400-plus craft coffee choices. And they'll do that for free. You can give feedback as you sip. As your preferences evolve, your coffee matches will too. You can feel good about each cup since trade partners with more than 55 small U.S.-based roasters who are committed to ethical and sustainable sourcing. You know, if you're a little finicky about coffee because you really know your way around it, the ability you can kind of zero in with that feedback, it, it's really working for us. We're enjoying our trade experience. So listen, Hackaroos, today's your lucky day if you're a coffee drinker because right now, trade is offering your first bag free. Free coffee and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com slash hacks. 
That's drinktrade.com slash hacks and use promo code hacks. Take that quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup. We want you to be alert for this witty repartee every week <laughs> that we engage in here, and this will help. That's drinktrade, D-R-I-N-K-T-R-A-D-E, drinktrade.com slash hacks. Promo code hacks for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. Enjoy. So, Dave, what's your latest thinking on the exposure that, that the D's have? Yeah, you know, a couple months ago, redistricting was probably the single biggest threat to the Democratic majority, but Biden's approval rating is, has now overtaken that. And uh, I think, if anything, Republicans' net gain in seats from redistricting is going to be fairly modest once you price in what Democrats can do in Illinois, New York, maybe Maryland and New Mexico to offset what Republicans are likely to draw in Florida and Texas and North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, you know, I think the net gain for Republicans from new maps is probably somewhere in the zero to five seat range, which might surprise some on the left who think that, you know, the, the sky is falling because of gerrymandering. But when you price in Biden being in the low to mid 40s, that's a recipe for Republicans picking up 20 to 25 seats on top of that. I think Biden's approval has to be back to 50 for Democrats to have any chance of holding on. Yeah, that's another impetus to pass these bills for Democrats, because one hope is that they're going to be, you know, there's going to be a hail of un, 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 uh, of of groundbreakings and ribbon cuttings and an economy that's on the upswing uh, come the fall of uh, of 2022. And this is part of that strategy. They want to have things to point to, uh, to say, to, to claim credit uh for that. So one thing I used to do when I was more involved in the House races and really kind of trying to handicap it more is right around now, next 30 to 45 days, you start taking a hard look at who's winning the recruitment war. You have a little more time, filing comes up, but you want time to vet people. And I'm not following it like I used to. How would you, as somebody who does follow this at a, at a atomic level, um, how would you score the recruitment efforts? I know I, I follow the Senate stuff, which is medium grim for the R's, particularly in Pennsylvania. Uh, but what, what's your what's your take on House recruitment? Which party's doing a better job? Will it be material? Republicans are ahead, Mike and uh, Kevin McCarthy. This is where he excels. Yeah, I don't know that McCarthy excels at the policy side of it. And you know, Paul Ryan's people criticize him for his lack of principles, but. You, when it comes to candidate recruitment, this is where he's very perceptive. And you know, he noticed in 2018, in that blue wave year, there actually were 30 Republicans elected, newly elected to the House in 2018. 29 of them were white men. Well, in 2020, the tables turned, and out of the 15 Republicans who beat or who took over Democratic seats, all 15 of them were women and/or minorities. And we're seeing that trend continue in yeah. 2022. Uh, Republicans have you know, two candidates in Texas who could uh, who could take seats for them. And Wesley Hunt, who's African American veteran in the Houston area, Monica uh, Dela Cruz Hernandez in the Rio Grande Valley is now the favorite in that Texas 15. There are a whole raft of Republican veterans running in Arizona, California, um, in Virginia. Uh, you know, Republicans have a state senator named Jen Kiggins. I'll be watching those House of Delegates races. 
uh, on Tuesday for clues about how the, that kind of tidewater area is shifting. Um, you know, that that's the undercard, but Republicans you know, only need five seats for a tie there. So we'll see. Uh, and then in New Jersey, uh, one of my one of the most fascinating storylines, uh, even though it's a blue state, there's a bipartisan commission in New Jersey and Tom Kane Jr., uh, the oh, son yeah. of the former governor, who came within a point of winning uh, the seventh district uh, in North Central Jersey in 2020. He's running again, but not only is he running again, as the state Senate minority leader, he gets to appoint basically half the redistricting commission in the state. So That's Democrats handy. there yeah. are worried that if the district lines were left alone, they would lose two seats. So what they might do is cut a deal to essentially give Tom Kane a seat in Congress in exchange for shoring up some other Democratic incumbents. And these are the kind of deals that could be cut that could enable more Republicans to get through. Kane's a good guy, by the way. Um, I just I know him. I'll give him the Murphy endorsement, and I hope he gets a safe seat so he doesn't have to worry about crazy primary opponents. Well, th- let me ask you a question about crazy primary endorsements, because, you know, Trump is a colossus within the Republican Party. But there, there, there should be, if people are looking at this Virginia race for clues, one clue is nobody wants him, no Republican wants him to cross the state line. Uh, in a general election. And uh, he is, uh, you know, Republicans nominated a candidate in Virginia who can uh, at least travel uh, uh, undercover, uh, you know, uh, on the Trump relationship. But in some of the Senate races, you know, he is uh, supporting candidates who are going to be challenged general election candidates. Uh, so, you know, Trump can dominate the primaries and actually screw the Republican Party in the general. Is that, do you see that effect in the House? Is he is he playing as big? He's obviously going after the nine or 10 who, uh, who, uh, who, who voted for impeachment. What's he doing on the House side? I think he'll generally be taking Kevin McCarthy's advice in the most competitive races because these House races have lower profile than the Senate. And uh, and McConnell doesn't have as good a relationship with, with Trump, clearly. But, you know, there are some potentially problematic Republican candidates at the, at the House level. But I think the problem for Republicans could be more in the Senate in, in you know, Trump's involvement in yeah. um, propping up Herschel Walker, or perhaps, uh, you know, the Arizona mess. We'll see. But because those are higher profile seats, that's where I think th- there could be some drag from particular candidates. This this is one explanation, Mike, for why uh, McCarthy has kept his lips firmly implanted on Trump's butt. Uh, oh, yeah. Look, McCarthy is a friend of mine in the House calls him a concierge politician. It's all about the small stuff. Oh, you need green alligator socks? I'll get you some in an hour. You know, it's the little things <laughs> and the personal relationships. He's a total weather vane. Half his caucus knows that. But absolutely, the schmoozing up to Trump is part of it. Now, in the Senate, I totally agree. One, the Senate is big time, so Trump will be attracted to it. You know, he, Trump can probably only name 20 members of Congress, and he'd name Pelosi three times. But in the Senate, like Pennsylvania, which is one of the key races where the Democrats have a big, crazy primary that might nominate a Bernie-style guy, although a charismatic one, you know, that needs order badly. Trump thinks Pennsylvania is one of his states, you know, because he, he won it the first time. So I know there's a total recipe for Republican disaster in recruiting there, driven by Trump, Trump meddling in the primary. And the one I'll be watching, like Young Ken, is New Hampshire. 
where Sununu, uh, the governor, who's probably going to run for Senate and be formidable against the incumbent Dem, has been pretty assiduous at not showing up at Trump. He's trying to do the young kid thing. He knows the state. Trump has this weird hatred for New Hampshire. So um, that's another place where I just smell trouble coming. Um, and so I, I totally agree with the premise that, that the Trump card is yet to be played in these Senate races, and it's going to be it's going to be a problem for Mitch, and Trump cares less about being a problem for Mitch, unlike McCarthy. Dave, when you finally uh, write your signature, I've seen enough, <laughs> uh, on Tuesday night, how much will that inform your thinking about house races? Will you, will you be able to instantly, you know, because it seems to me there will be augerings. We've talked about some of them. I mean, will this sort of set the, the the table for 2022. Yeah, you know what I'm going to be doing in the day after is compiling the results by delegate district and comparing those in addition right. to the governor's race against yeah. the presidential margin yeah. from 2020. It, like looking back over the last 5 years, it's been uncanny how accurate a predictor the average of down ballot special elections and off-year elections has been of the next year. And, you know, I think it's been a better predictor, frankly, than polls. And we should have put more stock in it in 2020, not less. You know, in 2017, in the run up in the first year of the Trump administration, there were like 120 down ballot special elections and Democrats overperformed the Clinton Trump margin by eight points. That was pretty much on target with what they did in 2018 mm -hmm. when they took back the House. 2019 comes along and Democrats were still doing pretty well but they were only overperforming the 2016 margin by about four to five points. That should have been a clue in retrospect that, all right, Democrats will hold the House, but with a reduced majority. Whereas the polls were saying, oh yeah, it's going to be a bonanza Democratic year. They're going to pick up all these seats. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll be watching because I think that that will, unless there's some major intervening event uh, you know, in, in the next uh, year and Marjorie Taylor Greene is suddenly the Republican minority leader, uh, then you know, I think we can count on that to be a good guide. They're saving that for 2023. I right. will point out that uh, that when you say everybody was saying, "Oh, it's going to be a banner year for Democrats in in 2020 in the House," everybody on the Zoom kind of uh, embraced that theory. Uh, even you, the most brilliant forecaster in the business, did that cause you to go back and look at this issue? The fact of the matter in 2020 was that the polling that we were seeing from not only Democrats, but Republicans who were spending yeah. money investing in these races was really gloomy for they Republicans. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it had Republicans known how good the political environment was for them down ballot, they would have moved a lot of money from, from races that they ended up winning by 10 to races that they didn't spend a cent on and ended up coming within, you know, one or two. Right. So, it's rare that we have a consensus when we're talking to pollsters of different parties on what the environment is. And in 2020, there was consensus, but it was wrong. Yeah, well, yeah. it was a rare event. I mean, we have this thing in capitalism, David, uh, revert to mean. And historically, <laughs> normally, when things are working at the top of the ticket in competitive uh, congressional races, they kind of amble along. And the polling showed that, too. And then, you know, to all of our <clears throat> amazement and now now humbled, we had Humility. a bit of a black swan there. Yeah. It, it, I thought it was revert to mean or lobby your asses off is what the. That, the, too. <laughs>
But no, the interesting point, though, is did the Democrats learn the lesson of 2020 about ideology in the House? And it's looking to me like they haven't. And if they're in a tough narrative, either Youngkin wins by two or McAuliffe by two, how do they restart? Because the Biden messaging, and I'm a Trump hater who voted for Biden, character building experience, but I did it. I'm surprised at how bad it's been. Nobody knows what's in the 3.5, I mean 2.0, I mean $1.5 trillion bill. Um, I don't, you know, can they get better? Because the stakes are going to astronomically get higher. They're going to be in a real crunch here for the next 100 days. There's not going to be another big omnibus bill in the spring. I I just don't see that. Uh, You know, the the challenge, and we've talked about it here before, I, I went through this with the Affordable Care Act, and that was narrower than what they're dealing with here. You know, I've said it before, this, 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 they're treating this uh, reconciliation bill like the last plane out of Kabul. Everybody knows that the Republicans are probably coming. They want to get their priorities on the plane. And that has created a fierce competition. But the other result of it is it is a hodgepodge. There is linkage, but it is a hodgepodge and there is no identity for it. And I think Biden had planned to spend the summer kind of highlighting different aspects of it. Afghanistan happened. uh, You know, the virus kicked up and they lost the summer and now they're trying to play catch up. But yeah, I mean, they're going to have to define this bill retrospectively uh, because they haven't been able to lay the groundwork for it prospectively. You know, I know the coalition politics are tough, but God, just politically, they ought to put all their chips on the big thing that's popular to hang the whole bill on, define it, childcare, probably. But they just can't seem to do that. So now they've got a, well, we had a big basket of liberal spending. Now we have a medium-large basket of liberal spending. It doesn't get them out of their message hole. But, hey, that's their problem. There's just something about being in the party out of the White House that allows you to cobble together all different types of your activists, right? Yep. You've got now you know Republican people from the Taylor, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, wing of the party, who are really fired up, right? But you've also got uh, Republicans who are, uh, you know, skeptic, skeptical of Trump, who are down on Biden, right? And the same dynamic in reverse was the case in 2018. When you're the party in the White House, uh, I think, David, you could speak to this. It's just harder to please everyone. <laughs> yes, and, I can and keep speak them motivated. That. Yes, as I've said before, I've got the tire tracks on my ass still uh, from the 2010 oh. midterm oh mid midterm elections. It, it I'm not is going to be able to unremember that now. I'll have to go back into yeah. electric shock. I, I'll show you. But, uh, <laughs> That's going behind the paywall, my friend. <laughs> Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. Hey, Axe, there's big news from our favorite home security company, Simply Safe. They just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. That's right, Simply Safe, the system that U.S. News and World Report names, quote, best home security system of 2021, just got even better. This new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to keep your family safe. We've received them. They're a great system and everybody cares about security right now. So this is an affordable and effective way to take care of that. It has an ultra wide 140 degree field of view so you can keep watch over your entire yard. 
It has a 1080p HD resolution with an eight times zoom. That means you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence. And you know, David, I live in Los Angeles, so after dark, things get interesting. But I've got a built-in spotlight on my Simply Safe camera with color night vision. So you don't get that grainy black and white stuff. You can actually see what's going on even when it's dark. And it's so simple to set up. It only takes a few minutes. Even you could do it. Yeah, and that's saying a lot. And it has an easy-to-remove rechargeable battery. So it doesn't need an outlet, and it can go anywhere on your property. This camera has it all, folks, and it integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending its protection to the outside. Together, it means every door, every window and room are protected, and now your property will be too. To learn more about this exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera that we're both crazy about, visit simplysafe.com/hacks. What's more, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service absolutely free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com/hacks. S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash hacks. One more thing before the mailbag, David. This is our new Stuck in My Craw segment that I just yes. invented on the fly. Maybe we'll yeah. cancel it immediately. Yes. But no, I think uh, I think we should do that. Go it, ahead. It's Stuck in My Craw, too. So why don't you start? Little little dumbass rhyming thing that's caught on about the president of the United States. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is more than just a, a, a rhyming thing. It does talk. It does speak to the tenor of our politics. Uh, you had a NASCAR event this. Uh, was it this weekend when this happened? But uh, in the last few days, when a driver uh, uh, named Brandon uh, won uh, won the race, he's being interviewed by some sportscaster and uh the crowd behind him is 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 chanting f joe biden well let's go brandon which was a rhyming slang synonym for let's f biden no no but the crowd was was chanting both yeah yeah yes and 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 the predominance may have been the the latter this now has become uh let's go brandon masks are now being worn by marjorie taylor green and others in the house and that's what what the hell is that? What what has become of us that, yeah. you know, I mean, I have to say, even in the Trump years, I don't recall anything, any corollary. I don't, members of the House wearing masks with code for, you know. Yeah, there were one or two coarse moments, but you're right. And there's a good Washington Post story on this a day or two ago, which I like not only because I was quoted in it, but we're in this rage therapy culture now where people are making their own obscene yard signs. I mean, the quorum is totally gone. And look, I, I, I am not on board a lot of Biden's domestic uh, agenda as a conservative. But look, it's the president of the United States. We don't I mean, it's just we, we've lost all somehow American politics, thanks to Trump, has just veered into Andy Cohen, real housewives of, of purgatory territory. And it's a loss. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole discussion about the sort of erosion of rules and laws and norms and decorum. And, uh, I, 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 you know, it's just, it, it, it was kind of stunning. We, we, you know, we had a, you remember this Dave, when a legislator from South Carolina stood up yep, and, uh, 
and accused uh, called call the president of the United States a liar when Obama was president and speaking in the House. I mean, we're in a bad way, you guys. This actually ties in to redistricting. You might not think it does, but oh, you win is, the segue. Okay, uh, uh, segue right. king. Tell us that's his Twitter <laughs> handle. You know, redistrict. So go ahead, Mister Nerd. What are the parties doing right now? They're they're drawing safe seats so that they don't have to spend money. No, you're right. Or uh, or that they don't have to find a candidate who has broad appeal to the electorate. So what happens in those safe seats when there's a primary race? Well, it comes down to whoever's able to get the most attention and go the most viral. And this is a, a chance, you know, that that obviously has gone viral on the right. So what are you going to get in a lot of these seats? Republicans who embrace that. Yeah, it's the algorithm world. We're just reaching for people's rage uh, all, all the time. We're squeezing out anybody who's open to argument or changing their mind or discourse and just going down to tribalism because the new incentives of politics are just, you know, we're, we're creating not politicians, but, but cheerleaders of stupidity. On each side. Well, that's that's depressing. Yeah. May, so may, with that, we need, yes. Let's, let's have some music. A little peppy music to get out of this nightmare. It's listener mailbag. Whoa! Thanks. That that picked me right up there. There, I can see your 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 chin wagon there. <laughs> so look, if you're not completely depressed, or if you are and you want to get out of it, send us a question at the mailbag. And if you send them before and we haven't read them, it's not your fault. I wanted to, but Axe vetoed it. So try again. We like hearing from you. The magic email address is hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. And look, smart people around the globe know one rule for life, which is you don't need the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, or these fancy sources. All you need is the Cook Political Report and the Hacks on Tap newsletter. Gibbs and I put it up by email twice a week. It's free. Get that free. And it's a lot of fun. We cover stuff that's not on the show and we make fun of Axelrod and tease each other. You can check it out. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. Okay. Enough of the plugs. Off to your questions. Mike Murphy, John writes, who won more West Virginia Democratic primary voters, Joe Manchin in his last Senate race in 2018 or Bernie in his primary run of 2016? John, that is a crafty, sneaky trick question, but an interesting <laughs> one. We uh, we looked it up in our vast Hacks on Tap library of all knowledge, and here are the numbers for you. When Manchin had a Senate primary, he had an opponent in 2018, he got... 111,589 votes. There's 69% of the votes they cast. So almost 70% of the vote, 30% against them to one other candidate. But Bernie, when he ran in the presidential race two years earlier, he got 124,000 votes. My God, 13,000 more than Manchin. 15%. So doesn't that mean that Manchin should turn into Bernie? No, no, it doesn't. Two reasons. One, in the presidential primary where Bernie was involved, turnout was much, much higher, about 100, well, 80,000 votes more. So you can't assume that Manchin with his 70% share in a raw vote comparison would fall behind Bernie because Manchin's number would come up in a larger turnout too. Second, if Bernie were to win the primary or Bernie accolade, how do you think it would work out in the general election? You would lose, you good Democrats, Senator Manchin. You'd pick up Senator Cruz's cousin, Waldo Cruz, from uh, <laughs> Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. So it's interesting fantasy stuff, but uh, I'm sorry to tell you, 
the math still doesn't really hold up. So the the, the really significant question is, uh, uh, what does Manchin do when he comes up for re-election in 2024? Yeah. I bet heavily he does not run. And I've said this before. I just He won by three points in a banner Democratic year in 2018. Yep. Against a guy who could he could say was from New Jersey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I think uh, Wald, Waldo Cruz would have an easy race uh, uh, in 2024. I don't, I don't think he's going to run. And you know what? John, who obviously doesn't like Manchin and Manchin has, is vexing uh, progressive voters and the White House to some degree uh, at this point. I mean, the question for John is, uh, is there a is there a more progressive candidate than Joe Manchin who could get elected in West Virginia? And the answer is probably no. Well, I'll tell you, here's I agree with you. Almost certainly no. Though here's another interesting fantasy uh, thing. Mitch McConnell's been known to carry a little pamphlet around when he's near Manchin called How to Join the Republican Party and Get Reelected. And then the Dems could nominate a super progressive and face Manchin in a general election. So I think he probably doesn't run, but I'll bet if he does run, it'll be as a Republican. Well, or, you know, I, I don't know what the specific laws are in West Virginia, but he could essentially try and create his own party and ditch the D uh, mm-hmm. and, and see how that works out if he really wants to stay in the Senate. I, I agree. I don't think he can win another term with a D next to his name, particularly in a presidential year, which is which 2024 is going to be where the turnout's much higher and much higher straight ticket voting. Yep. We don't have time now, but the cinema Democratic primary is going to be the interesting one. But right yeah, now, if she runs, if she's she not runs. acting like someone who's planning to run for real. Well, she's fundraising, but otherwise she's not acting like she wants to win a Democratic primary. She She's acting like someone who wants to get a lot of board seats. OK, come on. Uh, let's let's not Senate. be angry. I'm not angry. I'm just observing. <laughs> yeah. I'm observing. Yeah, that's what we do. We observe. OK, this is for David from Jake. I was born in 1994, the year of the contract with America. Mm, my parents must be Republicans, which makes me 27 years old. My entire adult life, I've been told how important it is for Democrats to compromise with Republicans and bring them into the fold. Can you, David, point to one instance in my nearly three decades of life in which Republicans have negotiated as good faith actors? Well, first of all, it is really perverse that you chart your your birth year to the year of the contract uh with america you i mean that's that's strange jake yeah if it were 1941 you wouldn't say pearl harbor but yes (laughs) but anyway i i think that we do need uh reforms in congress uh we need to get rid of the filibuster which frustrates the ability uh to get things done i don't think it actually promotes bipartisanship at this point, which is what uh, Joe Manchin argues. We have seen innumerable examples over 30 years where Republicans and Democrats do work together, sometimes on smaller things, uh, not as uh, not as frequently on large things. But the First Step Act, for example, in the last uh, Congress when Trump was president, uh, in which Republicans and Democrats worked together on a significant uh, uh, criminal justice reform bill, was important. That kind of thing should be encouraged. So reform, yes. Bipartisan, yes. This is a democracy. We should try and work together where we can. We just got a quick call from loyal listener Joe from Scranton who says, Jake, here's the deal, man. Bipartisan infrastructure. The first big one ever, and I did it. Why is it not in the headlines? I'm, hang on, get me clean. And then he hung up. <laughs> 
We got a great question from Miriam, a special question just for Dave Wasserman. David, what is it? How did she know? Did we announce in advance that he was going to be here? How did you become married to the iconic phrase, I've seen enough? <laughs> I thought the question was going to be, how did I become married to, uh, to my wife, who, you know, who's kind enough to put up with me on election night? <laughs> anybody, who's met, anybody who's met your wife would know the answer to that. <laughs> it's actually a great question. So the, the short of it is, Back in 2010, when I signed up for a Twitter account, I was tracking, I think, the Massachusetts uh, special Senate election uh, with Scott Brown and Martha Coakley. And I, you know, I've done this for every election night since I was a kid. I come up with vote targets by county or town or whatever to see the track, you know, who's, who's going to win on election night. So I just decided to start putting this on Twitter. And what I realized was that, you know, it, it's obvious who's going to win a race well before most news organizations are comfortable making a call. So I totally. probably had a thousand followers at the time. And I said, you know, projection, Scott Brown is going to win this race. And it started getting some traction. And the more years that went on and I kept doing this, the networks and in dis full disclosure, I, I do uh, contribute to, to NBC. Uh, the, but networks started getting a little bit peeved at me and, and getting upset that I was using the term projection. And so I was thinking, well, what's another way to say what I'm trying to convey? And uh, I think it was unintentional that this caught on, but I just said, you know, I've seen enough, uh, this person wins. And, and then people started asking me when I'd seen enough. And now I've got this, uh, this great mug that you can purchase uh, <laughs> benefit Feeding America. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Goes to Feeding America. All right. How do the good people get one of those mugs? Yes. Where do they go? I'm going to start up another holiday fundraiser. We, we raised like uh, 15000 uh last holiday. Uh, so uh, so we'll start it back up. when it's Murphy season. and I are in. I want to do a plug here. Is there a website? Where do you get your mug? Because I'm going to get one. It was a one-week fire sale. But, you oh, know, got I'm, it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll start Let's it up. start it up again, yeah. man. Yeah. Look, we have clearly not heard enough, but we're out of time. But why don't we plug your uh, Twitter handle and where they can uh, keep up with your astute analysis here, David. At Redistrict, and you can follow the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter at cookpolitical.com. By the way, if you're a nerd for this stuff, you uh, Cook, you have to subscribe. Totally worth it. It's worth the dollars. I highly recommend you check it out. I'm a subscriber. Dave borrows a copy from somebody who pays, and uh, we're both uh, we're both fanatics for it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good to be with you. Thanks, guys, and keep on hacking. <laughs> I smell a mug. Yes, we're, we always mug on this show. We want that mug. All right, good to see you guys. And uh, Mike, we'll be back next week with Robert Gibbs after the uh, right. after the results are known in uh, Virginia and Jersey. In Boston and elsewhere. I'm getting my gloating shoes on, but who knows? It's tight. Could go either way, but I'm looking yeah. forward to that. All three of us. Yeah, I don't know. We'll <laughs> see you next week. All, All right, right, thanks, guys. pal. Talk see you. Bye.